Okay, today's scripture reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 to 10, and Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2 to 11. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he planned in him, for the administration of the days of fulfillment, to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. And then Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2 to 11. You have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight about the mystery of the Messiah. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to the purpose of the ages, which he made in the Messiah, Jesus, our Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So there are just some things in life that don't go well together. Can you think of some? Yeah. Like orange juice and cereal. Or drinking orange juice after you've brushed your teeth. For some people, it would be pineapple and pizza. Although I don't mind it. Cats and dogs. Bleach and ammonia. Never mix those two together because it's toxic and it can literally kill you. In fact, it look, in fact, it looks like you shouldn't mix anything with bleach. It's kind of like raisins, right? <laughs> Just, it's, that's my own personal thing. I, I don't like raisins, so I don't like that in anything. Another funny one, only if you know the show, is Knowledge and Jon Snow. So it's from uh, the TV show called um, Game of Thrones, where there's a saying, you know nothing, Jon Snow. So 
you know, knowledge and Jansenau. Similarly, Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles, they didn't mix well. They were like oil and water or oil and vinegar. Gentiles were anyone who were not Jewish, and I'm not sure if Gentiles felt this way about Jews, but during the time of Jesus, many of the Jews did not think of Gentiles in a positive way. So, you know, they tried to mix and live together. And even for a while, maybe, maybe they could. And, and there are examples of Jewish people who would integrate a little bit with the Gentiles and try to live together. But yet, the devout Jews in that time had some rules around what they could do and not do around, around Gentiles. And, and, and the devout Jews made sure that they were separated from Gentiles. So Jews were told not to marry Gentiles. Gentiles couldn't worship in the same way in the temple as the Jews were allowed to. And for some of the more religious Jews, they wouldn't even be seen eating with a Gentile. So really, just stay with your own kind. That's Jews will stay to themselves and the rest on their own. And Gentiles were anyone who weren't Jewish. So we're in this series called Ostrak, where we're exploring the mysteries of our faith. This mystery is not a riddle or a problem to be solved, but rather is something that's revealed to us by God. And when we know it because of God's revelation, it still stays a mystery. It doesn't become something that, aha, now we understand. Though we get to know it a little bit more, the more we get to know, the, know this revealed truth, the more we find that we are in a place of mystery. And the best way for us to respond is through wonder and worship and awe. And the mystery of our faith that we are looking at today is the church. Now, you might be thinking, the church? What's so mysterious about the church? Isn't it just a group of people coming together to sing songs, hear to some guy or a woman talk about Jesus? Let me ask you, what, what, what is the church? Is it a building? Is it a person? And sometimes we treat it like a person. We say stuff, the church said this to me. Or the church did this to me. But what is the church? And we get our understanding of the church from the Greek word ecclesia, which means to be called out of to gather together. It is being called out of our homes so that we can gather together to worship God. And this is why we say Let's go to church. Not because church is a building, but because the church is the gathering of the people of God to worship God. This, to me, still doesn't really explain why the church is a mystery. What does make a church a mystery is that the church, that is the people like us who gather together to worship God, is the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We don't have any slides today, but this quote that explains this really well to me is this quote by Frank Violi and Leonard Sweet. And they say, the most magical mystery of all is mystery of Christ himself. That Jesus is the mystery. The second greatest mystery is the church, which is his body. 
And according to the New Testament, the mystery of God is Christ, and the mystery of Christ is the church. The head and the body make up the one grand mystery of Scripture. And we looked at how Jesus is fully God and fully human, and that God residing in the person of Jesus is a mystery. The second mystery, great mystery, is that the church is his body. If the revealed mystery about who God is is in Jesus, then the revealed mystery about who Jesus is is the church. Ephesians 1, to 23 says, And God placed all things under his feet and anointed him to be head over everything for the church. This is Jesus, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul says here, because God raised Jesus from the dead and have seated him above all things, that God also appointed Jesus to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. The church is his body, meaning we are his body. We are the body of Christ. Now, we know this is only figuratively, right? It's, it's not actually the body. We're not actually the body of Jesus, right? Paul doesn't really believe we become the literal body of Christ, does he? Well, one thing I've learned and we've, I think, learned from COVID is that there's nothing like physical connection with our family and friends. And according to one medical journal, friendship in humans and other animals brings us closer to knowing fully what it means to be human. And to break that bond can lead to physical side effects such as depression and other health problems. In the same way, when we say that we're the body of Christ, we believe that there is something more than just a spiritual connection to Christ, but rather a connection so deep and so transformative that it not only impacts us spiritually, but also physically and eternally. And I would agree with the writers of this medical journal that our connection to people are vital to make us more fully human. But I would add that that we can only be fully humans as we connect to Jesus and to one another. And it's when we are connected to Jesus that it helps us connect to one another. And Jesus himself thinks that there's some truth to this idea. In Matthew 25, when Jesus says, uh, he's talking about the sheep and the goats, and he says, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. And when Paul was persecuting Jesus, uh, and per, I mean, not persecuting Jesus, persecuting Christians, Jesus came and said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul, a devout, a devout Jew who believed in the separation of Jews and Gentiles, meets Jesus and comes to understand that the plans of God were not just for the Jew, but for all people. The separation of Jew and Gentile was not what God intended or wanted, but rather God had from the beginning wanted all people to be part of his kingdom, his family, and his body. So this is why Paul writes in Ephesians 2.14, Ephesians 2, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and had destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. 
by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them, Jew and Gentile, to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So the Jews and Gentiles, like oil and vinegar, didn't mix well. But Jesus came and destroyed that barrier and created in himself one new humanity out of the two. Who here knows what emulsification is? Some of us. I only found this out recently. Obviously, I don't make salad dressing a lot, so I don't know this. But oil and vinegar don't mix naturally. And, you know, I try shaking it up, try to mix it, but eventually they separate. It's almost like imagining two people who really are not, who don't mix well together in a party. And they're just sitting in the opposite rooms in a, in a party room. And yeah, we could try to get them to play some icebreakers, get them to mix a little bit better, but they just don't mix. And so, you know, they stay to their own ends of the room. Yet, I've learned through uh, this emulsification process, and I try to Google it and look into it, and I'm not a scientist, and I, I was never good at science, so after reading it for a little bit about all these hydrogen and all this stuff, I'm like, forget it. Basically, all it, what it is is you need a binding agent. You need something that will break down. Uh, I don't even know what it's breaking down, but it's bringing together. <laughs> it's, it's bringing together um, vinegar and oil that just don't mix. And so I found out that you could use, a, you know, a mustard or some kind of binding agent that will mix together uh, these two things that don't. And when you do this, it's enjoyable for all who like some good salad dressing, right? All right. I don't know. Let's see if this works. I don't know how much, how much, uh, I don't know how much Jesus we need, but um, I'm sure we all need a lot of Jesus, right? So this is so Jesus, like this binding agent, is that enough? Well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Oh, man. So Jesus is like this binding agent that brought together the Jews and Gentiles who did not mix like oil and vinegar. And uh, let's see if I'll stay mixed. So 10 years ago, I was playing basketball and got a cramp on my hamstring. Well, you know how it is, right? You, you, you cramp up, you sit down, you stretch. And, and instead of listening to my body, I wanted to play more. So, so I got up and played again. And after a little while, because I was compensating for my, my injured uh, cramp leg, that my glutes started feeling a little off, you know? And I started, like, while I'm playing, I have to, like, rub it out and hit it and stuff. And, you know, I should have listened to my body again. But I'm, I want to play, so I keep playing. And, and after a while, 
I guess my glutes was giving out, and so then my back got involved in playing basketball. And then I threw up my back, and so then I was out. And what I learned from that experience uh, 10 years afterwards is that your body will compensate uh, when it needs to. And the thing is, every little part of your body impacts the other. Even the smallest part of your body is so connected to the rest of your body that when one part is weak, another part will compensate to fill that gap. But when it's not made for that purpose, for, for instance, in my case, my back, to carry all of my weight and, and when I'm playing basketball, is that it will eventually fail. And, and so I've been living with back pain for 10 years and learning that I'm always compensating. My body's always compensating. And so I have tight, you know, hips and tight uh, legs and everything is tight. <laughs> Just, <laughs> And I think Paul is using the metaphor of the body to speak about the the kind of connection we have with Christ. It is so deep and real that he uses an an example of this kind of bond we have with Christ. Our bond with Christ is so strong that he he uses the metaphor of the body uh, of a human being to speak about the deeper reality, the deeper connection we have with Christ, meaning the connection we have with Christ is even stronger than our bodies. That, that, that is the kind of connection that we have with, with Jesus and with one another. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 to 10, in him we have redemption, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the time reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The revealed mystery of God is that all things, not just Jews and Gentiles, although it includes Jews and Gentiles, but all things, including animals, trees, raisins, all things that we think can be united, can be uni- will be united under Christ. He will be the head over all things in heaven and earth. And in this view of unity of all things, Paul believes that the church is the body of Christ where Jesus is the head. The church is the body of Christ where individuals live with the indwelling presence of Jesus, not just as individuals, but as a community of God. Just as God is communal, we who are made in his image are also communal and therefore make up his body. Church isn't just a place where we sing songs and listen to sermons. The church is the people of God of every nation and tribe coming under and together to experience the one true God who is the source of our very being. And that person is found in Jesus, and we are invited to be part of him. And not only do we get to experience Jesus, that as the church, we become the manifestation of Jesus here on earth. We're not just his followers, but become part of the body of Christ where Jesus is the head. And so we use that phrase like 
the hands and feet of Jesus. C.S. Lewis argues that the word membership has a Christian origin. The word member comes from the Latin word membrum, which means organ. To be a member of something, and in our case, someone, is to be an organ in that body. Lewis argues that being part of the church is never individualistic. It cannot be done on, on our own because we are part of an organic body of Christ where we all play a part. Just as in a family, there are different members, where, where there are mom, dad, children, grandparents, and dogs, and in each, though very different, are part of the same family member, we as the church are members or organs who complement one another to make up his body. So that if one part suffers, so does the other, each part playing its role, unique so we are still us, and yet connected together, being led by Jesus, who is the head. And because of this membership to Jesus, he says the church will outlive the universe because the church is his body. And Jesus is immortal, and so, we, so are we. And this is one of the reasons, I think, why we become members of a specific church, it's not so that we could just be deacons and elders or make you to be deacons and elders. We want you to become members of the body of Christ in a physical, public way because you already are. If you follow Jesus, you are a member of this body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 14 says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all his mem many members, parts from, sorry, just as one body through one, though one has many parts, but all his many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And some of you may have heard about this shape test that we're doing. I don't like the word test. We should call it the sh shape inventory or shape reflection. Anyways, but it, the, and the reason why, and then Jeremy shared it a little bit, the reason why we are doing this is we want to see what kind of uh, passions and giftings we have in this body. Because we recognize that not a few of us can do the whole thing. Only, a few of us only make up a part of this body. And yeah, we could help and pick up things that uh, aren't part of our gifting. But as the body compensates, it can only do it for so long before it tires out. So in the same way, if we want to function as a healthy body of Christ in this uh, area called Willowdale, we want to know how we are gifted how the Spirit of God gifts each one of us to play that part. Because whether or not you like it or not, you are already part of this body. So we encourage you to do it uh, and take it as a way to kind of help us as a leadership know who's out there and what kind of giftings we have so that we have right people serving in the right areas. About 20 years ago, I went to a conference that was held by a church called Willow Creek uh, community church in the States, and it was one of these big church uh, uh, leaders' uh, conferences. 
And there were churches from all over the world that was there. And there was a speaker named John Orberg, who was a pastor, one of the pastors there. And, he's, and he, he was telling us to look around the building and see all the people there. There must have been like thousands of people there. And he asked us a question. He said, how many churches do you think have gathered in this space? And I'm thinking, you know, if there's two to five uh, people from each church, maybe like 800. Like there's just so many people there. You know, and I'm trying to kind of estimate uh, how many people were there. And what he did was he held up one finger and he said, just one church. And I remember thinking, I was like blown away. Obviously, it's such an obvious answer, right? But at the same time, it was, he was speaking to a reality that sometimes we forget. That the church isn't just this local church. We believe in local churches. But we believe in one church that goes beyond walls to the global church that we're all part of. And this is why in Ephesians 4, Paul says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul encourages us to make every effort to be united because that is, the mystery, that is the mystery of the church, that God has revealed himself in Jesus and through the resurrected Jesus and his church, we are members of and is through whom he will bring all things under Jesus. But did you know that there are around 45,000 denominations? It's nothing new that the church had always had some type of conflict right from the beginning. But in any relationship that is intimate, that wants to be intimate, there's going to be conflict. There is going to be disagreement. So we can look at the 45,000 different denominations and see how divided we are. Or we can look at it and say, we have 45,000 different denominations of very unique and different uh, uh, churches within their own contexts with billions of people worshiping Jesus together, although in you know, little minute different ways. Yet they are the one body of Christ because God has willed the church to be one as he is one. And that's where we have hope because if it was up to us, I don't think it would be united. But God says this is his plan. This is his mysterious will that Greeks and Jews, Greeks and Jews, Jews and Gentiles and all people will be united as one member. When I was growing up, I, I didn't have the greatest home life. Uh, you know, parents were divorced, and, and that really caused a lot of grief in me. And as a high school student, I think as a way to deal with my grief, as a way to kind of um, grieve, yeah, this loss, I, I wasn't going to church, uh, going, not going to church, I wasn't going to school. I missed a lot of school, and I eventually became uh, a high school dropout. And it was during this time, though, and, and then eventually my brother and I moved out, and we felt really alone, as if we didn't have uh, a place of belonging. But a friend of mine invited me to church, and I became really involved this, in this one church, where this group of people who they just accepted me and loved me. 
as I was. They didn't care about my home life, uh, you know, how I was doing in school, except that they cared in terms of wanting me to do better, and they cared that I wasn't doing well. But they didn't care that it wasn't perfect, nor close to being perfect. And throughout my life, I've been to many churches. And in each church, I meet people who, who are loving, who, who, who is supportive, who want us to do better. And uh, last week, I know Anne asked, put, me, put me on the spot a little bit and asked me to tell a story about how I was in high school because, you know, we're, you were um, celebrating with me that I got my doctorate, right? And, and the reason why I couldn't really say much about it was because I realized, honestly, I only got to what I did because of you. It was the family of Christ as the members of one body who who helped me to be who I was. And, and I became, I would say, fully uh, human in that. So for our youth who are here, and that may be watching at home, um, I want you to know this more than anything, that you belong here, that you have a place in God's family, and that He loves you. And so do we. And we want you to know that you are part of this church. And that anytime you need anything, we are all here for you. So how do we be the body of Christ? How, what does this look like to manifest Jesus to the world? Well, it's, it's through you, through me, it's through us. We are the body of Christ. And I want to end with a prayer by St. Teresa of Avila. And I've edited her prayer a little bit where she says yours to ours because I don't think it's, ever, like we said, it's never individual where we are the body together. And so let's pray this prayer together and end our time together. Let's pray. Christ has no body but ours, no hands, no feet on earth but ours. Ours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Ours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Ours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Ours are the hands. Ours are the feet. Ours are the eyes. We are his body. Christ has no body now but ours. No hands, no feet on earth but ours. Ours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth, but ours. Amen.